Today, on the Entrepreneurship at DU podcast. People don't look at their plate and the food that they're eating and they don't see the actual impact that it does. Every meal and every food has a different impact on the environment. A DU student breaks the rules of the granola industry, infusing her treats with insect protein. There's so many benefits. It's kind of hard to narrow it down to one. And so I'm already back to expanding from having scaled back. A recent report predicts the edible insect market could be worth $8 billion by 2030, up from less than $1 billion in 2019. In a market fueled by eco-conscious consumers, entrepreneurs are vying to meet the demand for healthy and sustainable protein sources. Today, we chat with Claire Wetzel, founder of Illegal Oats. I'm Kevin Douglas, and this is the Entrepreneurship at DU podcast. Welcome to the Entrepreneurship at DU podcast. Today, we have Claire Wetzel, founder of Illegal Oats. Claire is set to finish undergrad this year at the Daniels College of Business with a major in marketing. Illegal Oats took part in Entrepreneurship at DU's Basecamp Accelerator and was also the winner of DU's first ever Entrepreneurship Week pitch competition. Claire, thanks for coming to the studio. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, just to start off, I'd love to hear in your own words, what is Illegal Oats and what problem are you solving in this specific market? Yeah, so Illegal Oats produces granola and now granola bars enriched with insect powder. And the purpose of that is to provide a sustainable source of the same nutrients you get from meat but it's more ethical, it doesn't use as many resources, it doesn't pollute. A lot of people forget that it actually allows more people to have access to nutrients because if we're not taking all of our resources to make meat, which is really inefficient, then we have more resources to go around, more nutrients and more food to uh, give to people who don't have access to food. So there's so many benefits that illegal ads are solving, so many problems. It's kind of hard to narrow it down to one, but I usually go with the environmental and then also the health aspect of it. Could you go a little more in depth with um, specifically what environmental considerations go into insect powder rather than other forms of protein, as well as what health benefits is there a big difference between protein from insects versus protein from animals or fruits and uh, other foods like that? Yeah, so to start out with the environmental uh, part of it, so often I compare it to beef, and um, you often hear about the methane that cows produce and the carbon dioxide, which is a big source of the climate crisis. And um, also another part about it is that people don't, look at their plate and the f food that they're eating and they don't see the actual impact that it does because every meal and every food has a different impact on the environment. So if you're eating beef, it's directly correlated to increased um, greenhouse gas emissions. They drink a lot more water. 
I wish I had brought my fact sheet with me to give uh, more detailed facts, but they're a huge source of wasting water because they not only drink so much water themselves, these are the cows I'm talking about, uh, they also eat food that required water to grow. And so that's a big um, thing that people forget about when they're looking down at their plate. You don't see that the not only you're eating this food that uh, itself directly used these resources and polluted, but also ate food that had the same effect. And then um, you can also look at it, how it pollutes water, because another thing people forget is that these really awful factory farms, they leak and um, there's this water runoff that pollutes groundwater, which is where we get our drinking water. And um, it's devastating to local communities. Obviously, it's people who have lower incomes have to live by these farms, um, and then they're directly affected by it. So that's the environmental aspect of it. I actually originally started Illegal Oats thinking about the ethics of it. I mentioned these factory farms and these animals such as like cows, pigs, chickens. It's unimaginable what they go through, just like the amount of animals that go through this. And as we speak, animals are being slaughtered, animals are being born. The cycle just keeps continuing. Later, I found out that people don't really care much about the ethics. Again, they don't see the pain and suffering that their food went to. Uh, I hate that there's a different term for uh, cows and beef. I think that just goes to show that mm-hmm. how much of a disconnect there is. Um, and pigs, we don't call the pigs we eat pigs. We call them pork. Right. Um, yeah. So in addition to providing this nutrition, which is really great and what people have, they've responded mostly to the nutrition of it, but... Um, there's this whole other side of it, the environmental and the ethical part of it. I can tell that everything about what has now turned into illegal oats came from a pretty personal place, that ethics is such a personal approach to deciding what your diet's going to be and um, all the long-lasting ramifications. Uh, While I was doing research on this, I saw numerous studies that said by 2050, everybody will be eating bugs to some capacity for protein. And I think that goes to show just where we're headed. You're kind of ahead of the curve. And this is a market that while in 2020, I believe, was under a billion dollars, the insect protein or uh, insect food industry is set to reach $8 billion by 2030. So you're really kind of getting in on the ground floor of something that's really booming. And I'd love to hear a little bit how your iteration of ground up mealworms in granola, where that came from. And in terms of your journey, did you experiment with other kinds of insect protein? How did you come to land on this product specifically? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, yeah, I have. I wish I took more pictures when I was first iterating because they were just scary. <laughs> uh, so I have gone through probably like five different bugs. Um, I use uh, Japanese water beetles. I used 
ants, um, grasshoppers. I can't remember all of the bugs I used, but I experimented with all of these, not only different bugs, but then different um, different foods. So I tried to make bug jerky one time. Uh, I completely tortured my family. Oh, no. And this was all during <laughs> quarantine, so there was no escape for them. Uh, the absolute first dish I made was banana bread, and I was using mealworms that I had just gotten from the local feed store. And so I made this banana bread mix and just dumped in a whole bunch of mealworms. And luckily for me, it was uh, late at night, so it was really dark when I made this. Uh, and I had a couple slices, and I was like, this is, this is really good. This is something. Uh, then the next morning I wake up and I see how many mealworms just full-on were spilling out of this banana bread, and I hadn't ground it up yet, and it was <laughs> quite the sight. Uh, and I actually, something I want to circle back to is these, like, bug patties. I actually made um, breakfast patties with um, crickets, and they were actually really good. I had them for breakfast for a bit. But like then, something that could substitute a, a sausage on a McMuffin or something like that? Exactly, kind of yeah. like um, like a black bean burger, but it, yeah. instead of beans, they're bugs. The Interesting. <laughs> uh, but then I remember this whole time I was meeting with one of my entrepreneurship professors, uh, Professor Pollard, and I was struggling with finding the right um, the right dish and the right bugs to use. And I said, actually, at the very beginning, it was a meal delivery service, kind of like um, HelloFresh, but they were all bug-based dishes. Uh, and so I finally realized that I probably needed to scale back, focus on one product um, and a product that I could, at that point I was grinding mealworms because I noticed that they um, didn't have a strong taste and they would be uh, could easily hide in dishes so I said, okay, I need to scale back. This is going to be a great way to hide it. I can make these flavorful um, granolas, and I can make different flavors. And they were a lot easier to make than granola bars. But now I'm workshopping a peanut butter uh, chocolate granola bar. And so I'm already back to expanding from having scaled back. The, the peanut butter chocolate is such a good recipe for anything. You could slip anything in there, and I feel like get away <laughs> with it. If you look at uh, the nutritional profiles of the different insects, it goes pretty much crickets and then mealworms. Um, there are a couple different bugs around at the top, but it's kind of an earthy flavor. Um, I didn't realize at the beginning, sometimes I would ask people if they try it. I was like, uh, there are actually mealworms in this. Can you taste them? And then after a while, I realized what, People don't know what mealworms taste like, so how are they even yeah. going to know? But it's kind of like an earthy, almost nutty flavor. Uh, and very recently, I have started mixing in cricket powder as well, uh, which kind of gets into boring technical aspects of mm. bug tastes and how they're, like, raised. But crickets are the most nutritious, and so I've started to um, powder them and enrich them in my mealworm granola seems like the natural next step for, you know, as you start to expand the product and your offerings. Um, I would love to hear a little more. So during the pandemic, you've experimented with your family, all these different foods, and you finally landed on this granola. 
what was that journey of packaging it, putting it up at farmers markets? And as you were making those sales, then how does it compare to where you are now? Are you still mainly doing farmers markets? Have you expanded? Are you on any shelves at local stores? Oh, I was as inefficient as you can be at the beginning in terms yeah. of producing, packaging, selling. Um, looking back, it's just crazy to think about all of the decisions I made. So I would spend all the night, like the entire night awake baking right before um, the farmer's market. And I would make way too much that I basically knew I couldn't sell, but I was terrified of selling out, which I never came close to selling out. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I would package them in these um, brown paper bags that would be really greasy. And by the time I brought them to the farmer's market, it would just be like this big bag of grease and it had all settled to the bottom. And, um, I hardly knew anything about like the FDA, any laws that I needed to follow. But uh, then I would sell them at the farmer's market. And back then I was only selling at the farmer's market. It was, I never really had any expectations because I knew it was kind of a time to just learn from my mistakes, which I made plenty and learned a lot from them. I would only sell... (laughs) like four 12-ounce bags after all of that work. I would be at the farmer's market like five hours after like 20 hours of production, uh, and then I'd sell four. And I didn't even know how much my costs of production were, and I just kind of priced it randomly. But now now I'm selling at farmer's markets. I've moved up. Um, A lot of people don't know this, but farmer's markets are kind of like getting into colleges, you have to kind of be established and show sales and show that you have a unique product and are successful in order to get into the um, kind of like Ivy League farmer's markets. Mm -hmm. And so now I am in two of those Ivy League farmer's markets, very proud to say, um, last year. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So I'm at the Boulder Farmer's Market and the Pearl Street Farmer's Market, which are really exciting. Um, probably way overloaded myself, but we'll see how that goes. Um, and then I'm also, I was on a couple store shelves. Then I had some packaging issues. I've always had packaging issues, but, uh, they actually caused me to have to lose some of my stores. So I was in five retailers and, uh, now I'm back to just being in one because of those issues. Gotcha. And would you be willing to share what those those troubles have been and what lessons you've learned from dealing with that, where you think uh, the solutions lie ahead? Huh. Where do I begin? Um, yeah, so some of the issues from that, well, so many problems in business come from the fact that you're dealing with people. And um, so one of those retailers I had a little bit of a bad experience and this person really took this just kind of miscommunication personally and when I went to, my product was selling in her store, but when I went to call her to restock or when I would go to call her to see if I could come in to do samples, 
she wouldn't pick up my calls. And then one time I finally got her and she just totally blew me off. And at that point you have to just say, this isn't, you kind of have to like um, fire one of your customers basically, yeah. um, realizing that it's just not a good fit. And then uh, also dealing with people, you have to have the right people on your side. So I, when I was choosing my designer for my packaging, I I think made a post on Instagram about how I needed a designer and I was kind of rebranding. Someone reached out, DM'd me, and I was like, yeah, sure. And I was just kind of like, I thought it was super cool that someone was reaching out to me, that I just accepted the deal and we worked on the project for eight months and she got her nephew to um, design one of the flavors and it we never got to editing it and ultimately I had to say this isn't working out Um, and it was kind of unfortunate because she said yeah I agree I wish that was a conversation we had had much earlier so I learned that lesson Um, and now I'm with a great designer we're finishing our packaging just in time for the beginning of the farmer's market so a lot of those lessons have come from dealing with different people who have um, come with their own baggage. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one thing a lot of people forget about. Um, All of these businesses, all these brands have real people behind them, and that's such a practical side of entrepreneurship you don't always consider when you have all the systems in place to succeed, but just those interpersonal uh, conflicts can, can get in the way. Uh, I'm sorry you've struggled with that, but I'm glad that it, it sounds like you're you're setting yourself up for success this summer for the farmer's markets. Hopefully. Definitely good timing as we're getting into this nicer weather. Um, I'd love to hear about how you and your current designer are standing out at these farmer's markets. I think that, uh, not to use a pun, but uh, <laughs> it is a very granola crowd that we're <laughs> appealing to with these farmer's markets um, in Denver, in the Denver, Boulder areas. Um, what is it you're thinking about when you're thinking of how to reach, how to educate people on insect protein and people that, um, how would you, you know, convert these people that might be hesitant? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question because as we always talk about in entrepreneurship, every, every single detail has to be intentional and you have to understand, uh, what reason you have for your decision and what you hope to achieve, um, having made that decision. So right now with packaging, uh, we actually, my designer who is so amazing, um, he had me go through a kind of workshop and it was this almost like a personality test uh, for illegal oats. And it kind of narrowed down my whole brand voice. And I learned a lot about illegal oats going through this process. And in this personality brand, brand personality test, um, there were these archetypes and illegal oats found itself in um, the, I think it's called the explorer archetype. And so it's for people who uh, want to be themselves. They don't really, they're not mainstream. They also um, have kind of like this desire to go off the beaten path, which I think is really what illegal oats is. And then there's also this environmental and ethical and nutrition aspect to it. Uh, So we needed to include all of that into the packaging. And now it's coming out soon, 
but uh, we have to kind of represent that environmental part of it. The background is are these like um, mountain ranges and they correspond with the flavor of that color. So the cranberry orange flavor, it's these like orange and pink mountain ranges. So that's kind of both to make it delicious for the people who mainly care about taste and then also reach the people who are um, more of that explorer archetype. Uh, Then we have these big bold letters because illegal oats is just, we're trying to communicate how bold and unapologetic illegal oats is about being the first, one of the first of its kind. And uh, then, like I said, most people really care about the nutrition of it. So um, I'm having a conversation with a woman who I did another accelerator with and my designer on how to put these nutrients into context for people who aren't like nutritionists, but they care about uh, what their food does for them. So um, for example, I have in the honey nut flavor, there are six grams of protein per quarter cup. So what we're looking at doing is on the back in big bold letters saying um, six grams of protein per serving for muscle health. And then um, like a handful of the other nutrients that are kind of key to understanding really what the benefit of insect nutrition is. And so it's kind of a quick grab to people who are mostly into the nutrition of it. Yeah, I think that's smart, especially for the farmer's market scene. I think of people, I think of browsers and they're, you know, looking at the back of a package, those kind of snippets, they would capture Mm -hmm. my attention more so than just the, just saying the protein and the calories and all that. Um, It's a great way to reach the the explorers. I I love that. I think that's really useful. I think every Every startup, every mm-hmm. even non-business venture should know what their their personality is because that's so valuable for uh, finding that target market. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious, just you personally, did you ever think before this you would start a business? Is this something you've wanted to do for a long time? Do you have other entrepreneurs in your family that have inspired you or influenced you, even given you advice for this venture? So there was this really cool moment when I first really decided to enter the first pitch competition. Uh, It was before I was in person at DU because we were still remote because of the pandemic. And um, I was scrolling through my emails and I saw this email announcement from uh, Professor Ross who was announcing the TikTok pitch competition, which because we were remote, it was basically like a pitch competition, but you would make a 45 second video to pitch that idea. And I saw that, I was like, that's cool. And I kept scrolling. And then that kind of stuck with me, that idea to pitch. And it especially kind of struck me that I immediately passed by it thinking that is not me. Like I, definitely label myself as not an entrepreneur, not someone who kind of is capable of starting a business or who even wants to. And then I came back to it and realized that I was, I could totally at least pitch it. And I kind of had that idea ready from a different entrepreneurship class. Uh, And so at the time, the meal delivery service, that's what I was pitching. Um, 
I did a mock-up of all the different recipes that I had made. I kind of gave a um, explanation of how it worked. And at that point, I felt like there was no looking back. I love the contrast of you hadn't even stepped foot on DU's campus. <laughs> and, I mean, you've used DU for so many resources. You've you mm-hmm. used the, the entrepreneurship department's kitchen for cooking a lot of uh, the product, right? Yeah. Um, and I, the growth in that, the growth in you and the growth in your, your vision and the business itself is, uh, it's very cool to see from, from my vantage point. Um, so congratulations on, on everything you've achieved so far. That's very exciting. Um, as you get closer to graduation now, where do you see the future of illegal oats? And is this something you want to continue pursuing as you finish and, uh, move on from, uh, university of Denver? Yeah, I think the next step is just kind of continuing that, um, like, growth process and continuing to build it, strengthen the brand, continue making um, steps like figuring out what the brand voice is and more um, systems to make it this turnkey business where pretty much I have a handbook to it. Someone can step in and completely take over because... I see in the near future, um, hopefully within like two years, I'd like to sell illegal oats to someone who cares about the cause as much as I do and is just as passionate. And the main reason I want to sell it is because um, I have more business ideas. <laughs> Would you be willing to share some of those? <laughs> well, one of my professors just shot one of the this idea down that I'm actually really excited about, (laughs) but uh, I'll share it anyway. Um, So it's the idea to take common um, kind of toiletry items and like kind of boring day-to-day items that come in plastic packaging. And so this includes dish soap, toothpaste, those are the two that I have in mind, and make them packageless. The problem that I see is that people with brand loyalty to their like Colgate toothpaste or Dawn dish soap, they are going to have trouble testing out these new products when they have no idea how they work, and there's no promise to really them working at all. And so I want to bridge that gap by taking, for example, the dish soap, take one of those companies' products that are already making dish soap that's like a dish bar and basically slapping the name of Dawn onto it and selling it right next to in the department store. Dawn's dish soap, then there's Dawn dish eco bar, something like that. And that solves the problem of this environmentally friendly everyday item having easy access to it because right Mm -hmm. now you kind of have to go to like a special store to get them and it's a strange brand that's really local and you don't know. So it's solving that problem and uh, reducing plastic in that way. Yeah, that's another business that um, it sounds like, you know, your professor maybe shut it down now, (laughs) but just like the insect protein industry, if you ask someone 10 years ago if they'd be open to even considering a granola with mealworm powder. That feels like something else that as um, 
I don't, I hate to say as the world is burning, but as we <laughs> become even more conscious of the ramifications of environmental um, devastation, sustainability, that feels like another industry and another another way to get into that industry early that could really be successful. I could see that catching on. And who knows what that could become, considering where you started with Illegal Oats as the, the you know, the HelloFresh style of product. And now it's something entirely different, but very, very cool and unique. And I hope you're, you're able to, to work on that uh, in the future as you're, if, and of course, selling Illegal Oats would be awesome too. Yeah, for sure. We always wrap up our interviews with a couple rapid fire questions. So um, the first question is, how do you personally define success? Mm. Uh, I think it's really personal. Um, I think it's knowing that every day you tried your hardest to um, promote the causes that you care about and you do everything in your power to create a better world, whether it's getting results or not. The second question is, uh, what is the best or worst piece of advice you've ever had? That's a really hard question. <laughs> um, well, there were people who said, don't do illegal oats. It's really stupid. I can't remember who or how many people. It was more than one, uh, but I'm glad I didn't listen to them. Yeah, that's terrible advice. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. I always say do it, no matter what. If it's legal and ethical, just do it. And if it fails utterly, you learn something. Mm-hmm. Well, Claire, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. I've learned a lot about you and your business, and it's very cool to get a sneak peek behind the curtain and very excited <laughs> to see where it goes from here. So uh, best of luck with the farmer's markets this summer and everything else in the Illegal Oats future. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. The Entrepreneurship at DU podcast was recorded in Marjorie Reed Hall on the University of Denver campus. You can find us on Instagram at DU Entrepreneur, on Twitter at DU underscore Entrepreneur, and on Facebook at Entrepreneurship at DU. Entrepreneurship at DU is part of the Daniels College of Business, which has its own podcast, by the way. Check out Voices of Experience, available wherever you get your podcasts. 